Toya Johnson, the Partnerships Manager at Brick, an arts and media nonprofit organization in Brooklyn. We are also home to Brooklyn Free Speech TV, the public access channels for the borough. Brick Media Share is an in-kind grant program that teaches Brooklyn-based or Brooklyn-affiliated nonprofits how to create and use media. Selected organizations take classes and collaborate with a producing mentor to create video or podcast projects to help inform the public about the great work they're doing in the community. Welcome back to the Partnerships Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're talking with two representatives from New York Birth Control Access Project, one of the organizations that participated in the 2022-23 cycle of MediaShare. Please introduce yourself and tell us your role with the organization. We'll start with you, Rochelle. Hi, my name is Rochelle Rodney. I'm the Director of Advocacy at the New York Birth Control Access Project. Hi, thank you so much for having us. Uh, My name is Moza Mendez. I'm the Senior Program Lead in Development and Fundraising. So let's jump right in. Please tell our audience more about New York Birth Control Access Project and what inspired you both to start advocating for birth control. So our NYB CAP, New York Birth Control Access Project, is a nonprofit organization where we work on building up the next generation of reproductive health advocates and reproductive justice advocates. And the reason why I started to do the work that I do is because I realized that there was definitely a gap in education to birth control access from when I was a college student, when I was working as a resident assistant, and when I was doing community outreach in East New York, Brooklyn. I just realized that there was a lot of gaps to access to contraception and education surrounding contraception. So I felt like that was somewhere that I wanted to work. And also, as a part of NYBCAP, we do recognize different policies that need to be changed and give young people the education surrounding how does um, the legislative session work, what can they do to change these policies to make sure that contraception is more available to not only their communities, but people all across New York State. Yeah, um, for me, it was that I spent most of my life in the Middle East. Um, Premarital sex is a taboo topic, and uh, people they never talked about even discussed reproductive health, let alone birth control. Um, So there's a lot of censorship that I grew up around. And while it's easy to equate that censorship with maybe some conservative communities, um, but we know it's also the reality of millions living in the U.S. Um, And since since we lost the protections of Roe v. Wade, um, millions across the country and millions in New York as well are in contraceptive deserts and places where they don't have easy access to birth control. Um, So... I joined the New York Birth Control Access Project as an internship during my last year of undergrad. Um, And through them, we've been able to um, try to work towards eliminating barriers to birth control and um, trying to show that uh, we're trying to build a reflective and effective grassroots advocacy campaign. Um, And we have a social justice vision um, that's basically trying to ensure that every New Yorker has access to the birth control they want when they want it. And we're also trying to develop the next generation of reproductive justice advocates. That's wonderful. Thank you both for all of that information. So how does your organization work with policymakers to improve access to birth control in New York State? So... As a part of our programming, what we realized over time in doing different pilot projects 
is that our young people didn't understand how the legislative process worked and how much of an impact it has on our day-to-day lives, not only when it comes to contraception, but other things within our communities that we might want to change. So we dedicated a big part of our programming to educating our advocates about what are the policies that can overarchingly affect New York State and New Yorkers as a whole. And I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned from that is the fact that young people have a lot of power and policymakers listen to their constituents and seeing young people lift up their voices towards something that they care about within their communities has made a very big impact on those policymakers. We just focus on giving them the tools to be able to recognize their power and to use that power for good and to use it towards contraceptive access, but also showing them how that could be replicated for other policies and other um, initiatives that they care about as well. So how do you tell it your messaging and outreach efforts to reach different populations like young people or low-income individuals? So we do focus on trends. We do focus on doing a lot of social media outreach. And when we, when I first started working at this organization, it was throughout the pandemic. So it was a very big shift and it was very difficult at first to try to figure out like ways to get back to people because everybody was kind of confused and lost. So I think the way that we do that is that we focus on what are the needs in each community and how to relay that message properly. So I don't know if most of you have a comment Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, I also want to say that our work is guided and informed by people who are most severely impacted by lack of access to birth control. Um, Be people who are low income, people of color, uninsured or underinsured people, anyone, people who are undocumented. Uh, They're the people that make up our associate board. Um, And the majority of our associate board members have faced barriers to birth control. Um, And them, like myself, we've leveraged that experience to try and become advocates for our communities. Um, and associate board members. um, They work closely with our staff to implement our action plans. um, And we've found, or I've been able to find friends and community through participation with NYBCAP. um, And we're empowered by the skills and advocacy opportunities that we gain through the organization. That's great. I want to go back to a point that you mentioned earlier. You said that New York Birth Control Access Project focuses on the trends. How do you do that? So what we do is we look at literally like the trends on social media and then we find a way to like work into the work that we do because we realize that in the age of TikTok and how quick people's attentions shift that we have to do something really quick to capture people's attentions. So we focus on like what is the trending topics or like for example this month was domestic, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and we did our movie screening on healthy relationships and talked about how to recognize when you're not in a healthy relationship and just like seeing that Um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month is like a big thing. That's something that we also can contribute to when we're talking about contraception and people possibly being forced to use contraception and how to um, access resources as well. So we focus on like different trends, not only like for social media, but like what is going on in the world around us that also is relevant to the work that we did. And it's funny because our movie screening this time around on April 15th was Love and Basketball. And right now there's a big um, talk about basketball and how does um, the difference between like men and women playing basketball and the LSU team. That was like a big trend at the time and then relaying it to healthy relationships and then relaying it to our work. So focus on things like that. And our demographic for that was young people and young people were very like entertained by the LSU team and what's been going on so just like working things like that into our work has been able to like open up open us up to different audiences and it's great to see how New York Birth Control Access Project is looking at the trends and connecting the dots yes. for young adults 
So what are some of the biggest obstacles you face in promoting birth control access project and how does NYBCAP work to overcome them? Um, so I'd say that New York is, is definitely a bastion of uh, pro-choice policy. Our elected officials have been really great allies for the movement, but there's also the assumption that New York has done everything it can to expand reproductive access. Um, people automatically assume that reproductive access is equitable for everyone. Um, and at meetings that we have with people, our education meetings, our associate board meetings, um, people, they might tend to question our mission because of that assumption that there's like, why why is this an issue? Uh, why are you trying to do this work? Um, but then they're shocked to hear our statistics of how New York ranks um, in terms of lowest number of contraceptive providers per person alongside Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, and 1.2 million women in New York live in, in contraceptive deserts. Um, so this shows that we can and we need to do so much more. Um, disparities still exist, and the most vulnerable populations are suffering. They're made to feel invisible. Um, and especially without the protections of Roe v. Wade, we can't stay complacent. And really now is the time for us to press forward um, even more to become a model for true equity. Uh, so we make those changes through our passionate leaders, um, through our associate board members. We show the public that young adults are civically engaged and that we're determined to ensure our reproductive freedom. So what are some of the areas in New York State that are defined as contraceptive deserts? Uh, so what are those areas would be the Bronx? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I hope I think about 40% of the women that live in the Bronx live in a contraceptive desert. Um, so that's basically an area where you don't have easy access to a healthcare provider. You can't, like you might have to take a long trip to go to your doctor to get birth control, or you might have to, um, or like you might have to spend money on it. There's time and effort. Um, you have to take time off of work. You have to skip school. Um, birth control access isn't equitable for everyone. Not everyone has the advantages or the capability to um, access it as much as others. And uh, there might not be any clinics in, in a neighborhood or in an area for people to get birth control. Um, so low-income communities, communities of color, are generally disproportionately more likely to suffer from um, disparities when it comes to access to birth control. So how would someone know that they're in a contraceptive desert? So a person will know that, well, a lot of people don't know the term contraception deserts, but if you are in an area where you do not have access to the full range of contraception, so all of the approved types of um, contraception that you can use, then you are in a contraception desert. So you might have a provider um, a couple blocks away from you that offer like the pill and the patch, but if there's no providers in that area that has like the ring, the um, IUD, like any other form of birth control, then you are at a lack of access to all of your options. So now you might feel like you need to go on the pill or the patch because that's what's available. However, you should be able to have your full range of options offered to you so that you can make that decision instead of feeling like you're being coerced to like pick one because that is the only thing that is in your area. Mm -hmm. So just not being able to have the full range of your contraception access is you living in a contraception desert. So are healthcare providers letting their patients know that there is a wider range of birth control that they offer? 
I think some of them do, but definitely not all of them. I have experienced like talking to a lot of young people that say like, okay, what is a diaphragm? It's like, wow. Like (laughs) then you have to sit there and explain to them like there is more than the diaphragm. There's a lot of different, there's 18 FDA approved types. So to like go through that full list with your doctor would be your best option. And especially because not every single birth control type works for everyone. Like the pill might work for Moza, but the pill wouldn't work for me because Mm -hmm. of like having to have that specific time that you're setting each day to take it for it to be more effective. I feel like with my busy schedule, it would be kind of hard for that. So just like realizing that there are multiple options for different people that might work better for you than others. And then having that option available to you because the pill in the patch might not be the best option for me. And I don't want to pick that just because it's the only thing available. Mm -hmm. Right. So what do you see as the future of birth control advocacy and what steps do you think needs to be taken to continue making progress in this area? So I think it's young people. I love working with young people. And I think that the amount of progress that we're able to make with our associate board of young people and our associate board is built up of currently 84 um, college age students. Some of them are like PhD students, master's students as well. But the majority of them are like traditional college students that are working with us to advance the different initiatives that we work on. And I think that people realize the passion that they have behind the work that they do and they listen to them because they first educate themselves on the topics before going out into their communities and spreading the word about the work that we're doing. So I think that the key is young people and building them up with the correct tools to be able to advocate for themselves and the laws that they want to see passed and for the education that they want to see within their communities because I think that as soon as we activate them and teach them their power, they use it. Like, they use it very well. But coming into the associate board and the reason why we built our associate board the way that we did is because we realized that there was a lack of education to um, basic things that you would think that a person would just come out of college knowing that I even didn't know. And speaking to our executive director, Jenna Bimby, I was telling her when we first started our associate board, like, I wish I had someone to teach me all of the things that I've been learning at the organization And that's how our associate board came around. So it was truly about educating them about the power that they have and how they can use it. And they've been doing exactly that. I mean, Moza. (laughs) They've been doing exactly that. And we try to also make sure that our um, organization is data-driven. So we have pre- and post-surveys for our associate board members. Um, And these surveys have shown that following their involvement with NYBCAP, um, our associate board members have an increased interest in pursuing um, a career in advocacy, and we're able to expand access to internship and job opportunities. Um, I've been working with NYBCAP for a little bit over a year now, and because of that, they've opened it's opened up so many other doors to me. It's even create it's even ignited a passion in me for reproductive ad- justice, um, and. I've definitely come to like realize that this is something that I truly care about. This is something that I want to continue working on, and um, I definitely want to ensure that like uh, uh, the communities that I belong to, um, women, um, people of color, people who are low income, um, are able to have access to birth control that they want. And um, yeah, we're basically just creating lifelong advocates for reproductive justice, um, and. We've trained since 2021, I believe. So we've trained about more than 250 young advocates um, in becoming um, leaders for reproductive justice, and we hope to increase those numbers in the next coming in the next years, and also to expand our programming and information that we're able to offer them. Speaking of the associate board, what is the criteria to join? So our, we want everyone to learn. So. 
a lot of the our associate board members are college students. We do want to sleep into like the high school ages, and we don't really put an age cap on it because we don't want to like you know stigmatize. But um, usually the um associate board that joins is like between. 17 18 to 25 so like traditional college age students but that's where we've gotten the most interest so yeah and that's pretty much it you just have to have an interest in reproductive justice want to learn about reproductive justice have a passion for your community and making new yorkers like have greater access to birth control so we don't really put a lot of like strict guidelines on who joins because we realize that through having a lot of different people with different backgrounds join our organization, we've been able to grow exponentially throughout the last three years. And having them to um, give different perspectives on the work that we're doing and their opinions have been able to help each other grow as well. And this program is offered in all colleges throughout New York State? So we offer this to um, all colleges, we do want more private um, schools to get involved in our organizations. Usually a lot of CUNY and SUNY students apply. However, it is open to everyone. We do also want people that are not in college. It is kind of hard for us to re reach that population, but um, we do definitely want everyone, all young people that want to do reproductive justice work or reproductive advocacy work in general to join our um, the associate board. So let's shift gears for a bit and talk about the Media Share program. Why was it important for New York Birth Control Access Project to be a part of the Media Share program? I think that it was a great idea to have our associate board involved because we do want to work on more like digital advocacy projects and we did want them to understand like why when we stress the, import the importance of lighting it's important or the importance of sound or how you are on the camera and how does it convey to the people that you're trying to get a message to and I feel like having the professionals come in and teach it was definitely more um, impactful than like someone that's not in the profession so they were understanding but after they did the media share program a couple of them have been doing other programs outside of that and I think just like spark interest in them that even though they are doing reproductive justice advocacy there are many avenues that you can do that you can do it through media share you can have an interest in working in a different department but also use that to advance your mission like we're talking about reproductive health on a pod on the podcast right now I think um we have two associate board members that are trying to start their own podcasts oh, so that's like wonderful yes. so seeing them being able to um, branch out and reach out to different organizations and like seeing different ways that they can bring across the message for reproductive health or just whatever they want has been really interesting and impactful on them as well. How was your experience working with your producing mentor? So I was shocked that the videos came out as if they recorded it on a professional camera teaching us that you can use your iPhone and get like the little microphone and be able to um, produce content that looks like a really big professional camera made was very interesting to me and then seeing how he was able to edit out like sounds in the background or like blur out certain things and crop the video so that it flowed the way that we wanted it to was also interesting as well mm -hmm. yeah it really shows that um, you don't need a lot of expensive equipment you don't need a lot of maybe technological know-how too. Like you can maybe just go on YouTube and look up videos or go to your local library and um, see if you can find information there. Anyone can create an impactful social media campaign, um, especially now in the age of like the smartphone and all of our digital equipment. Um, this is something that's accessible to so many people and we hope that as time goes on, like, you know, 
uh, these equipment becomes like a little bit cheaper too and like more people are able to um, branch out into it and it's a really great way to get people to pay attention to your message as well to um, and also to be able to share it really quickly with others um, around the world um, and to, I guess also just showcase the things that you're passionate about the things that you care about. So how did being a part of the program shape your media making skills? I think I definitely got better at making videos, even for like my own personal social media. Um, I learned, I think one of the biggest things that I took away is that you do have the resources. I remember in one of the online classes they were talking about, um, maybe you can prop your phone up on a box, but make sure that the angle that you get it is at the right angle and things like that. And I was like, wow, like this whole time, I'm like, maybe I should make a YouTube. And I'm like, I don't have the equipment. And I'm like, okay, the equipment is right around you. And to be innovative and to be able to capture an idea that you want to portray to other people by using your resources is important. And realizing that just because you don't have all of like the fancy equipment that it shouldn't stop you from doing what you want to do. So I think that that was one of my biggest takeaways as I was doing the project to like present at the end and creating my video. I was like, okay, let me get this box. <laughs> and I put my phone up on a box and I'm standing. I'm like, okay, let me te- let me test the, um, the lighting. Let me back up and see how the sound is, go forward. And I was just like experimenting with all of the different um tricks that you guys told us on the call. And I was like, wow, like it definitely makes sense. <laughs> Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely something that I still think about, too, like mm-hmm. when you're like how you frame the shot, like uh, how the different um, I forget what it's called. But the, the rule diff- of thirds. Yes, yeah. exactly. The rule of thirds um, and how you position people within the shot um, and also the importance of sound. Um, that's something that I didn't really think about before, but it's also something that um, then I realized is really important when you're watching a video, like the quality might not be the best, but it's also it's still really important to have good sound. Um, and that's something that I've tried to be a bit more, um, a bit more vigilant about whenever I create videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and also show that like content is pretty much all around you. Like anything you do can be a form of content, like, you know, just waking up and, uh, you know, getting yourself breakfast and like starting your day at work is content. Um, and right now what we're doing, the podcast is content. Um, there's a lot that you could do to bring people in, to bring your audience in, to, um, just uh, sort of like share a little bit of your world with people and to show why what you're um, working towards matters. So what advice would you give someone who's interested in developing their media skills but may not have the resources or access to formal classes or training or a training program? I think most of you mentioned this, like going on YouTube and doing research. I think that there's a lot of free education out there that we don't take advantage of. And I think by doing research, because I definitely think that I could have like went online and like researched and like realized that there are a lot of different avenues that I can take without having the professional equipment. Mm-hmm. But it's just about like the willingness to want to know that information and going out and searching for it. And also probably trying to um get into other internships or contact break. Um <laughs> <laughs> getting into different internships and just really being hungry. I realize that if you're hungry for something and you really want that knowledge, you'll go out and find it. You just have to do your research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd also say it's good to start small a little bit first to like maybe just start off with your phone, see how that goes. And then like as your hopefully as your um, audience grows and as your um, subs- subscribers grow too, if you have a channel, um, then you could start to branch out a little bit more and like get different equipment. Um, but definitely good to like just start from a small bit just so you can see, get a hang of things, um, see how it is with that and then try and expand and do more. And 
course, like Rochelle mentioned, uh, pre-education is really great. The internet is, um, it's a gold mine. It has lots of information. Um, maybe going to local libraries as well could help. And college students, often they have, um, often on campus, they can rent equipment sometimes from their um, IT department. So that's something to look into as well. And in New York, there's so many nonprofits and so many organizations like BRIC that also have these programs to help people. So also like, you know, trying to Google and like look for information. And like Rochelle said, be hungry, be determined. Those are all great points. Thank you. So before we close, can you share any resources for our listeners who want to learn more about New York Birth Control Access Project? So they can visit us on our online platforms. We are at NYBCAP on um, Instagram and on Twitter. And you can find us at gettingbusy.org on Google or the Internet. And um, we also have nybcap.org, but I like gettingbusy.org a little bit better. I Um, do, too. (laughs) (laughs) And we also have a resources page on our website as well that they can click through to find out more information about different um, laws that they can access or, like, laws that they should know about um, that impacts them getting um, birth control and access to birth control. And we have information about our associate board. All of the information about the different um, things that we work on at our organization is online on Mm -hmm. our website. Yeah. And I also want to say that um, as a cycle of our associate board program is um, coming to an end as the semester ends, um, definitely we hope that people are on the lookout for the next one in the fall um, and to keep an eye out for um, once we release that information and to consider joining us because we're definitely a group of like very determined, very passionate young leaders um, who want to ensure reproductive freedom and reproductive access for everyone across New York. Thank you to our guests today, Rochelle and Moza of New York Birth Control Access Project, and to Jose Astorga, our studio engineer and key member of the BRIC operations team. To watch the videos New York Birth Control Access Project created during the Media Share program, please go to the Brooklyn Free Speech YouTube channel and click on the Media Share 2022-23 playlist. Brooklyn Free Speech is the public access television and podcast network for the borough of Brooklyn. We air over 650 hours of TV shows, films, and shorts created by Brooklyn-based community producers that reflect their perspective on the world. For more information, please visit www.brickartsmedia.org.